Hello, everyone. This is Seth, one of the co-hosts of Engage Podcast, to bring you today another episode of Engage Podcast. But before we can get into that, I have to give you my world-famous announcements. If you are listening for the very first time, I just want to say welcome. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, wherever, go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. That way you can get notified every time we come out with a new episode of Engage Podcast. You won't have to look for us. You won't have to type us in the search bar. It's going to be on your phone waiting for you to listen every single Thursday. Also, if you haven't checked it out yet, go over to our YouTube page where you can see today's episode live. Uh, you can see it happening in real time. You get to see the guests. You get to be a fly on the wall or you get to feel like you're sitting at the table with us. It's a really cool experience and a lot of gotten a lot of good feedback from people who've said that uh, it has improved their experience um, listening to Engage podcasts. So if you are on our YouTube page, go ahead and like and subscribe. That way you can get notified every time we come out with Engage podcasts and also our other different um, different pieces of content. So we have our Sunday morning services that are streamed in real time on Sundays at 11 a.m. We also have uh, music review videos devotionals, any kind of thing you possibly can think of, book review videos, it's all on our YouTube page. And the link for that's down in the show notes. And um, you can go right there and uh, check it out. It's going to be, you know, it's kind of cool. So our guest today, this is his second time on the show. And the first time he was on was... Inexperience, and I say that because there's no other word I can think of to describe what that first interview was like. His name is Jeff Lynn. So Jeff Lynn is an incredible individual. They say that the greatest people you'll ever meet are not in Hollywood. They're not on Capitol Hill. They're just down the street from you. That's exactly what I think of when I hear and meet Jeff Lynn. He is just an incredible individual. And if you listened to his first interview last year, then you already know that. If you haven't heard that episode, I advise you to go listen to it as well as listen to this episode because you just find out more about what makes him tick, what makes him the very special individual that he is. He is the most caring, compassionate, just the over, like just, the kind of person that I want to be, um, that I want to emulate and learn from. So it was a great opportunity to have him on the show again. So give it up for our friend, Jeff Lynn. to have back on the show, Mr. Jeff Lynn. Now, just a little about Jeff. Jeff is the Foundation Building Materials Project Manager, and I know things are going well there, but Jeff also has something that he runs that I know he loves. It's close to his heart. It's called Above and Beyond Navigational Coaches. Now, if you want to find out more about those things, we had Jeff on before, and his podcast was great. It was well-loved, got a lot of views. You're a pretty dynamic guy. So I say all that to say that if you want to re-listen to that, Seth, you will provide the link for folks to listen to, right? Right. If they're, yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, the link's up there. Um, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or whatever, it's down in the show notes. Okay. So. so today we want to have a follow-up because before you couldn't see Jeff. Now you can see him. He's got his really cool Peaky Blinder hat on. Uh, he got nervous like I was going to take it off there. He noticed <laughs> that. I'm not taking the hat off, right? Um uh, but the other thing is, is we want to drill down a little bit. So we're we're not going to talk as much about those things because we feel like we've covered them. So here we have a list of specific questions that we thought would be nice to ask 
ask you. So again, part of our goal today is not just to bring on the best of the best and people that are dynamic and, and are trying to do something really neat in our community and for the world, but we also want the folks out there to be inspired, okay? So hopefully some of this leads to some self-reflection in, in your own life as you listen. All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. So um, here are some of the questions. We're just going to start off with number one and go right through these. these. These are in no specific order, all right? Okay. All right, so here we go. What are you better at than most anyone else in the world? Well, I really don't consider myself better than anyone, to, to be honest. And I think that's something that, you know, your, your parents and your pastors and different people talk to you about on, on Saturdays and just those life lessons. So I really don't. The way I see it, though, is we have the, the ability to work harder and, and make better choices than maybe other people. And I would consider one of the things that I do pretty well and I learned this from my mom at a, at a really early age was the ability to express gratitude. So when I was six years old, my mom started and she was pretty, pretty hard on me in regards to uh, you must write thank you notes. Hmm. And she actually taught me how to write thank you notes when I was really young. And that resonated throughout the rest of my life. And so I'm, I'm going to be 43 and I continue to this day. I wrote one last night. And I write them every week to people. Hmm. And every human that we meet every week of our life, they're going to touch us in different ways, right? And it's important for us to let them know how they've touched us. So I think the one thing that that I do pretty well is express my gratitude on paper toward other people. So do you have a time in the week set aside for that? Like every Thursday morning from 9 to 10, that's when I clear off my schedule. I go get my notes and I write. No, as life is, it's pretty random. So last evening, uh, my mother-in-law, she is a seamstress. And, you know, me being as tall as I am, that's a joke. I'm I'm five foot four. (laughs) Every pair of pants that I own has to be hemmed. So this week's one thank you note was simply letting her know that I really appreciate the time and and energy that she puts into that. So it's it's more random than anything else. Mm -hmm. But I enjoy doing it. Mm Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yeah, I like that. The book of Proverbs, um, there's a great verse, and I'm going to off the cuff it here. It says, the generous man will be prosperous, and he that waters will himself be watered. Okay? That's a bit Um, off the cuff, Anthony. Wow. I just pretended like I didn't have it memorized to seem (laughs) humble. So, (laughs) the generous man will be prosperous. He that waters will himself be watered. So... How I, I, I have a visual with that and that everyone's walking around with like a canteen, a bucket of water, right? And the generous man will be prosperous. He that waters will himself be watered. Every time you're given an opportunity in life to water someone else, right? And the more positive things you can shower on somebody, then the Bible actually says that the chances are that that person is going to turn around and be generous with mm-hmm. you. And Zig Ziglar, off the cuff, also said, (laughs) 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 also said, the best way to meet your goals is by helping someone else meet theirs. That's right. Right? And it's the same idea. He that waters will himself be watered. So if you're out helping other people, the chances are high that they're going to turn around when you need help and help you. Now, a lot of motives go into that, you know, but, you know, if you're doing it from a good place then I think that's a, a great, tangible thing to be known for. Yeah. So, very cool. Well, I think another thing that that, ver- that uh, proverb says a lot, too, is not just that they're going to help you, but that you yourself are going to get, like, your soul will be watered by helping somebody else. In fact, you know, the, the age-old saying is, is the fastest way to, um, like, get through depression is by helping someone. Right. Right, because doing a careless act purely just for the sake of just helping that person or loving someone for the sake of loving them um, is it just it, it does something to your soul that really just keeps you going keeps you alive and that's the thing that I think um, I know myself along with the listeners when you were on the podcast last time uh, I got to and I'm gonna use this word 
very, you know, very specifically, I got to experience Jeff Lynn for the first time. And one of the things that I was blown away by in that, uh, it was just, a, it was a cool experience was that, that, uh, that selflessness, that generosity is a hundred percent. Like I would use those two words to describe who you are and just how you talk to me and pastor Anthony and how you talk about helping other people. That's something that not only does our world desperately need, but people need to learn that just as a, like, I don't even say a skill because I'm looking at my generation specifically. And there's a lot of people, including myself, who it was always about us getting what we want out of life or out of a relationship, not about what we can give. And that was why, like, I always, to me, one of the biggest um, eye opener was I was reading a biography of um, um, uh, Wild. What's the poet's name? Oscar Oscar, Oscar Wilde. And at the end of his life, he asked uh, his, I guess it was his lover, a question. He said, "Out of all the people you've ever loved, how many of them did you love for their sake?" And that was when, like, he realized that all of his his entire life was wrapped up in always himself. Even the people he loved, it was because he was getting something out of it. And that when you love someone for their sake, not yours, that's that's what that's how a person's life really gets transformed and how their legacy can be left. So that's awesome. Thanks, Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. Ready to move on? Yeah. Yeah. Has the, I'll add to that, though, yeah. briefly, just what, what Seth said. And I think now is a, a really important time in our world's history, too, for our children and our children's friends and our nieces, nephews, whomever the, the children are in our lives, that they need to witness their parents, aunts, uncles, coaches, mentors, whoever these people are in their lives. They need to witness them doing these things. Hmm. Whether it's the random act of kindness where you're taking socks over to your elderly neighbor just because it's freezing cold and you're letting them know you're thinking about them in the dead of winter when they don't have much other family alive. Mm -hmm. So those types of things I think our world really needs. And it's really cool to see how it resonates in little children's hearts and minds when they start to see mom and dad and they start to see aunts, uncles, friends. You know, They start to see these acts in motion. Next thing you know, they have their pen and paper, and they're writing their first thank you note when they're four or five. And then it becomes habitual to them, and then they decide later on in life if they want to continue that and make it a habit in their lives. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. How did that become something that your mom was, was doing? Like, how, how did that happen? I think my mom was always, she's a very selfless person, so she was always thinking about other humans. And so that part of my mom came to me as a gift. Mm-hmm. And so ever since I was very, very young, I can probably remember four or five, you know, my mom watching her write thank you letters and thank you notes to people. And then once I was able to write, guess what I was doing for Christmas and all the holidays and my birthday, I was, I was writing 25 thank you notes, you know, to whoever was kind. Or ever did anything. That's, that's excellent. Now, your mom is not. Is she Italian by chance? She is not. She's she not. Do not. you want to know how I know? Knew she, you know how I know she's not Italian? <laughs> how do you know that? Because do you know how Italian people give thank you notes? <laughs> yes. Huh? With meatball sandwiches. <laughs> we just have a different version of saying thank you. Yeah, it's always it's always with way. food. <laughs> I like that. There's something tangible there. You know that? It's it's a really it's it's crystal clear. It's not confusing. This is your thing, you know, and now you pass it on your kids. I like it. Thanks. Do you have a superpower? And if so, what is it? I, I have none, but if I, could, if I could have one, it would be speak all languages. So you could go anywhere in the world and you could speak whatever language That'd and awesome. understand whatever language. I think that would be incredible. And then obviously everybody's, you know, transport yourself to any place, anytime, anywhere. That would be extremely cool. But... I would say my reality power, you know, like real world power would be just keeping people together. You know, like your, your high school friends or your college friends or even your family for that matter. You know, life pulls people apart for various reasons. And I've, I've always tried my best to be the glue that holds people together. 
Hmm. And whether that means a friend gets PO'd at another friend or someone, you know, is angry about something that someone said. I've always tried my best to try to pull those people back together, if able. Hmm. So try to glue people together. Jesus speaks about that in Matthew 5, you know, in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. And there's a difference between being a peacemaker and peacekeeper. Yep. You know, peace, a peacemaker uh, is sometimes very ugly work. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. I, and I would say the other small thing to go off that reality power would just be making healthy choices each day. You know, make, making choices that are positive, uh, healthy, loving uh, for myself and for others. So, um, what are what's an example of that? Um, I would say just just use food as an example, right? You know, the choices th- that I make are, are I try to make them uh, as selfless as I can possibly make them, so that I can live longer and be there for my kids longer. So, you know, using the information that I've learned and developed over the course of my life, I, I try the best I can to to make good healthy food choices, to inspire health in other people and myself and, and just kind of just be an example. You know, again, goes back to the thank you notes. It's when, when they see the work in action, then people start to ask questions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think it's up to us to, to stand on top of the mountain and talk about it, but if people ask, would love to be able to help them with those things. So uh, I really enjoy being able to, to make those healthy habitual choices because once they do become habit no matter what it is then you got it hmm. then you know that you can continue to do it over and over again and it can take you to that place that place that you want to go or it can take you to the place you, know, you don't want to go yeah so. yeah so what do you th- what would you say is one misconception that people have about you that's a good question I would say through the course of my life, you know, when when folks see individuals that that maybe uh, try to live a healthy lifestyle or, you know, they they could think that people might be extremely vain, you know, like vain, cocky, whatever. Um, The other thing is maybe not well read. Mm. You know, when you you hear wrestling coach or you hear the, the types of career fields that people have, you know, sometimes people form misconceptions that uh, maybe maybe he's vain or maybe he doesn't understand things. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not that intelligent. Um, I do ask people that, though, and, and I'm glad you asked this question because I always – I say to my kids, I said it the other morning, what's it like to be on the other side of me? That's a great question. What's it like to be on? What's it like to be on the other side of me? Because I think one way about myself, but I don't know how you think. I don't know how you think. You might say this this guy's a real jerk, you know. <laughs> well, I want my kids to tell me, like, Dad, what can I do? How can I improve? You know, and then, my, then my daughter looks at me as like, Daddy, well, you know, you could be a little bit more patient, <laughs> or you know, you could you could get on the floor with us and a little bit more. And and so what that does is it also helps me reflect. Yeah, and and helps me grow and uh, how I can shift and maneuver. So I would say that would be just some misconceptions. But I really enjoy hearing from people that I care about and people that I don't know very well what it's like to be on the other side of me. So, so on that note, what is one piece of feedback that someone has given you when you've asked that co- that question or maybe when you didn't ask that question what's a, what's uh, the most uh, meaningful piece of feedback you've ever received and um, how did you handle that? Well, I'd, I'd say I'd have a few. One would stem back about 10 plus years and I was in the midst of a, a report for our vice president when I worked at Teal College. and I remember being uber focused on what I was supposed to do and I remember feeling the pressure mount and then I remember the door opened and it was one of the the people that I managed and I remember vividly he came in and I wasn't focused on him like I was half there right and he needed me at the time I didn't know that he needed me at the time but he needed me at the time and so what did I do 
I went back to what I thought was most important, which was the report that needed done in an hour, right? So months went by, months went by, year ends, and I always would ask that question, you know, what can I, what can I do to improve on as, as your manager, leader, whatever? And he, he brought that moment up that he felt so unimportant. Mm -hmm. And from that moment in my life, I realized that the people in the room, we have to give them the utmost of love and importance, no matter what, because we don't know what they're going through. And he needed me that day and I wasn't there for him. I wasn't there for him that day. And so I tried to flip the switch in my own brain and heart to focus on listening. And this is one I do have trouble with, is listening more than talking. And I, and I continue to work on that one. But that was a really strong life lesson for me. Hmm. That day in my office, needed me, discounted them, went on to what I thought was most important, which was the human in front of me. Hmm. And so that was a really good life lesson. Uh, the other one I would say was, you know, don't always assume the worst. Don't make assumptions. And don't take things so, so personally. I, the younger I was, I would take a lot of things personally. And I've learned to kind of fluff those off and realize that it's not about me. This has nothing to do with me. Hmm. So I can't take it personally. I can't assume the worst. I'm going to try to assume the best. And then if the worst happens, then I'm going to forgive. And I'm going to move on. And I'm going to push forward. But I think that's... Uh, some life lessons that I've learned. And my recent lesson that I've learned was the vice president of our company at Foundation Building Materials. Him and I were talking, we, we talk about life and things like that. And he said to me one time, you know, don't ever burn a bridge. Hmm. Find a way to not let that bridge burn. If you can, hmm. some are gonna burn. We know that. But find and fight for a way to not let it burn. And if you do mess up, Try to circle back. Hmm. Try to circle back. So that was good wisdom that he provided me when we recently talked. So I think that's that's awesome that we have the opportunity to kind of learn from people and sometimes hearing things we don't want to hear. I mentioned to Amy on Sunday in passing, and you, you joked with her. I said, wherever you are, be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I, I don't remember who said that. I think it was Abe Lincoln, but, you know, he gets ascribed every quote. If you remember who said it, it's <laughs> Abe Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Abe said it. Abe, Abe, if it's wise, yeah, like, oh, yeah, Lincoln definitely said that. But it's true. Wherever you are, be there. I, I struggle with that. Not as much now. I, I'm not perfect in that by any means. But I think being younger, and I, I remember um, someone called me out at my first church. Sort of like how how that guy did but he didn't they did it there and it wasn't done in a mean way but they called me out um they said something about you're always jittery and i am but i was even more so then and i remember thinking um i have to actually talk to my feet that's what i do i still do that to this day like when uh, when church is done and people go through the line i actually talk to my feet and i tell them to stand still because it gives it gives the impression, you know, your feet are shifting all over the place because there's this nervous energy going on in me. And but for somebody walking through the line, the impression is, is you want to leave. You want to talk to that person. You're focused over there, even though I probably am not. I'm giving that impression, you know, that I'm not really there. I'm shifting all over the place. And so I talk to my feet every Sunday and I'll talk to my feet every once in a while when I'm in a group and I'll tell them stand still. So I'll focus and just tell my feet to stay like glued. Like I, I imagine there's a magnet on the bottom of my feet <laughs> down into the earth so that I stand still. So I don't know. So to kind of piggyback off of, of that, one of the little things that you said that I was uh, real quick is you said that you, um, that you, you learn not, not to take things so personal. Yeah. Okay. So um, for I would say for majority of my life, um, my biggest issue was I always assumed – when there was a comment that like when my brain heard it it didn't automatically come up as positive my brain always assumed there was negative intent behind an action uh, uh, just something that someone said um and it has been a huge struggle for me to get out of that because you do it for so long your brain's wired 
that way, it's really hard to re- reprogram it. So, um, how did you how did you get from that place where you took things personally to now um, you've gotten better at not taking things so personally? I would say just just through experience, a little bit of a sense of humor, and then ultimately the empathetic side of myself, just putting myself in that other person's shoes and then quickly saying, as my fist is clenching or as I'm, you know, getting really angry, I start to think, like, I have no clue what that human's going through right now. Hmm. Like, they could have just lost their son. Hmm. They could have just lost, you know. Yeah. The, the, we all go through these these trials, tribulations in our life, and we just try to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. So that's what I do. That really helps me through it, to not be as assuming and... Certainly, if I even do assume, I kind of slap myself in the face and say, "Dude, don't take it personally either," right? Because you just you just don't know what that what's coming from. Yeah. So you you have to take it in and throw it right back out into the universe and be done with it. So that's really helped me out is like quick, swift removal yeah. of it. Kind of like kind of like you're just taking <laughs> it out of the trash and then you're dragging the trash and you leave it out there done that's cool so that's helped me out a lot because i wasn't i wasn't always like that i was i was more drama filled the younger i was and i would let things just fester around what age did that switch start for you i would say in my in my 30s -hmm. yeah when you're when you're in your 20s you you think you know everything and you really know nothing you kind of have to be retrained on life you know? Yeah. Do you know how old Jesus was when he started his public ministry? Yeah, wasn't he... He was 30. 30, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I think there's a reason for that, right? Incredible. So something happens to a, a guy around 30. Most, not all. Some people that are remain immature their whole life, right? But I think something happens around that age where you're, you become a little more mature. See, for, for me, it was actually I did a um, a interview, um, and uh, for me, like the biggest like light bulb, like the penny drop moment, was when I watched myself talk to somebody else, and there were so many times where, based on my face expression or just even tone of voice, um, I was like, I would actually, like, I would, I'd say to myself, "Wow, that sounded rude," and that's when I realized, oh, you know what. There are some times that you don't realize that, you know, the way you say something or a facial expression or or even something you didn't say mm-hmm. could be taken as a negative intent. And that's to me, that was when I realized, oh, OK, if, if I do that, if I just watch myself do that, you know, and I catch myself doing it on here all the time, too, as I'm video editing, I'm like, <laughs> like, why did why did well, why did you say that, Seth? Or why didn't you not say that? Um it, that's when I, r- I realized, oh, everybody does it. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean, even if someone like outright acts, like accidentally offends you, it doesn't mean that they intended to yeah. offend you. Um, and there's another part too where, um, and this is something that I'm, I'm learning just within the last couple of years, is that if, uh, if, if you don't like the reflection, then don't change the mirror, right? Change, change yourself looking in the mirror. That's so if right. someone brings up something that you don't necessarily like you don't want to hear you have to ask yourself a question is what they're saying right mm-hmm. you know and uh if, it, if it's if it's blatantly wrong and you know and people around you would say what's wrong then just throw it out who cares yeah. but if it is <laughs> can you repeat that last phrase again <laughs> whatever who cares <laughs> um, but this, uh, is a, this is a little inside joke we have apparently i have mannerisms and one of them is his, ah, his watch. His watch. Who cares? Who cares? With Big deal. Who cares? He always so is flipping his watch around. So anytime I have so ever gone to him for, I don't have my watch on. Time. I was gonna say it's not on there. Advice. He always just goes, Seth. Who cares? Who cares? I gotta tell him. So what? Big deal. Who cares? In fact, in fact, <laughs> this is one of the benefits of them watching this today. Before they heard it, now they see it. Big deal. Big deal. Who, who cares? cares? So what? So one. Where's the watch? And two, why do you have it so loose where, 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 it's, where it's smooth? There used to be a photo on his Facebook. He, he took it down. It was him talking to someone at like a party, and it was him mid-wrist flip. Like you, like the his wrist oh and his the watch was blurry because the person took it as he was flipping it. Right? And if there was a little f- caption, it would have oh said, Oh, my gosh. Who cares? That is funny. 
But yeah. That's for the, all the novel listeners are like, oh, now I know what's going on when I don't see what's going on. But you love your watch, though. That's the moral. I love my watches. Plural. I'm a watch Just guy. like his colognes. Oh, just like my colognes, which, by the way, I have now influenced him to get in the colognes. Really? Yeah. Seth, what's, what are some of your early choices mm. in the cologne game? Uh, so I'm... My thing is, I, I don't like. I don't know the names. I, I'm not anywhere close to being like how into it as Pastor Anthony is. Um, but like uh, the uh, light blue by Dolce and Gabbana. Yep, that's always a favorite of mine. Um, I still have. In fact, my brother actually just gave it back to me. Um, a bottle of Ed Hardy clone. Oh, Ed Hardy. Yeah, and so I was like, oh. Um, it was it was also one of those things too because I I must have left it at my parents' house when I moved out. This is like you know seven eight actually probably more like nine nine years ago, and uh, it was like about halfway full. And he gave it back to me. It was in a box, and he's like, "Hey, uh, when we were moving, my mom and dad found this box that has a bunch of your your stuff in it." So I took it out and I sprayed it and like all these memories of high school came back when I was, cool. when I was dating my now wife, I, oh it God. was, it was, so I spray that now and it's more for just, but, uh, so that, uh, Ed Hardy, the light blue, and then you got me onto another, again, I don't know the names. I just know they smell good. And then my father-in-law just gave me a couple bottles too, um, so. So he's, he's working his way up. I know you're a fragrance guy too. Do enjoy some. We do like fragrances. Nice fragrances. If you like fragrances out there, drop us a comment. Tell us what you're wearing right now. Love to hear it. <laughs> cologne, right. not clothes. Cologne, cologne. cologne. <laughs> Sounded weird. Fragrance. <laughs> you know who had the best cologne? Brian Fantana. Um, but, uh, from the Anchor Man. Remember when his collection, his, yep. his drawer opened up, and, and they all came out, yeah. and he had them all lined up. <laughs> And each day he would wear it. I'm sure there's a knockoff of that somewhere out there. There probably is. Absolutely. Money to be made, right? Mm-hmm. That's funny. True. That's actually who I think about because when you took me to the country club that one time, you opened up your locker and you had a whole thing of cologne. You took me to your house and in your bathroom, a whole thing of cologne. You have cologne in your car. You have cologne in your office. You have cologne in the bathroom. You have cologne. He's even put cologne in the oil diffusers. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's cologne <laughs> before you got here. You I came know. out of the bathroom. You're like, what What bathroom in church has gel and, and hair cologne yeah. and hairspray? It's like a mini country club. <laughs> <laughs> He's you, guys are, you guys are a riot. You guys are a riot, I'll tell you. All right, let's let's get back to this guy, right. okay? Sorry. So, no, that's good. Uh, part of this is just finding out about, I guess, about us as, as regular people, right? That's right. So tell us about the first job you had that it's not in your resume, and what did you learn from that experience? First job that I had, I was 15, and actually, now that you say it, I should probably slap it back on my resume, because it was probably one of the most interesting, fun jobs I've ever had. So I was, I, you, have you ever heard of the term sand pro? Sand pro? No. So what a sand pro is, it's like a tractor, and it has a drop-down lever, so you pull the lever, and the back of the sand pro drops down into the sand trap on the golf course. And it's a very long rake. And all it does is you drive it in the sand bunker and you make nice little paths and you make the sand trap look really nice. So I worked at a golf course and it was a, it was a really nice Jack Nicholas golf course. And so at five in the morning when I was 15, I had to be ready to rock. And my sand pro was there waiting for me and I jumped on it. And I thought it was the best thing ever. And I would go to all 18 holes, and we had huge sand bunkers. And so I'd rake them with the sand pro, and then I would get off the sand pro, and then I would take the hand rake that I had, and we'd edge all around every bunker. Oh, wow. So that job for me was outstanding. It was a life lesson that, one, you got to get up early. So that taught me a lot about that. It taught me a lot about uh, understanding how expensive it is to maintain a golf course. And then I moved on to cutting greens and tees. And we had one green at the course that was over a million dollars. So we had to make sure that our errors were minimum because we had the members. And a lot of the members of the golf course were Mary Lemieux and and guys that were Pittsburgh Penguins and Pittsburgh Steelers and and those guys. So the margin of error had to be very, very low. No pressure. No. So so that was a high-pressure job (laughs) for basically no money. And you had to get up really early. And you get to meet a lot of really neat people. Mm. So, again, it was about the people that I met 
and and that job just taught me so much about life and you just got to get up mm. like that's how you start right you start today and you had i was 15 and i had to get up really really early mm. and get on that dang sand pro and i you know some days i wish wish i had a sand pro around here <laughs> <laughs> i was just, like my wife makes fun of me because i'm all about the perfect lines when I cut grass oh, yes. because I, so I drive past a golf course on the, uh, the, uh, Newcastle Avalon mm-hmm. and I always envy the way that their grass looks. And so, um, my wife always joked that she's like, you know, for how obsessive you are about those lines, it's the really the only, like, it's the only thing besides maybe books on a bookshelf. Like this is driving me nuts that I'm like OCD about. And so that job of making the grooves in the sand, that would just be, because it, it is that is just it's pure bliss, bliss, and just sa- satisfying, yeah. and like something you can look back on, and you just you just feel so fulfilled. Absolutely, that would be an amazing job. I hear you. And the greens were even better. So you you'd, you'd stare down at the trap, or you'd stare over at the green, and you just be like, wow, I did a, I did a pretty good job today. Or you'd be like, oh my gosh, I gotta yeah. fix that because that outing's starting, and I kind of muffed out. So would they call you out on things like that? Oh, they were very much. So our superintendent of the golf course was, he was a Penn State alum and he was meticulous on everything. So the the second cuts of the greens had to be perfect. And that's where you make your mistakes. So Mm -hmm. when you have your your green cutter, we we did them by hand too, which was different. They were so big. So when it comes down, when the blades come down, sometimes they come down a little bit faster mm-hmm. and it'll like make that nick the little nick in the green so you had to be really cautious as to when that blade hit so it was it was a learned skill hmm. but one in which taught me patience and dedication and time management yeah it was yeah. awesome and, and i'm sure details to the little things too absolutely hmm. that's a good question so if you could magically create one product to fix um, something that our world needs, what product would you be? And uh, yeah, like what would that product be? Well, if we're talking products right now on this this day and age or things, I would would hope that the invention of a a cure for cancer and and these viruses and things that ravage our world, obviously that would be the first and foremost, Mm. you know. Things that you see pull people's lives apart. I, I would yeah. like to, to see those be um, out in the market. So that would be first and foremost. But it, but if you're talking about like an invention of something, you know, maybe go back to the movie because you guys are movie buffs. Maybe go back to like Doc Brown and Back to the Future. You know, when he made the garbage of the DeLorean, so that he put the garbage in the DeLorean and made the DeLorean run on the garbage. So you know, you look at waste. Right, look at all of our waste in our world. Mm. And as you drive up to Erie, you see the big mound of, of garbage. And everywhere you go in the world, there's garbage everywhere. It'd be cool if we could find a way to use that as fuel because we know what fuel does to the environment and mm. what it does to our own bodies. And So I, w- I would say go back and try to figure out a way to harness our garbage to make things operate. What would you uh, create? Yeah, what would I, you try I was to fix? Say, what would you guys do? Oh, I don't know. That's that's tough. You, here, you go first. Well, I I didn't give any thought to this until I literally just New said cologne. it to you right now. New cologne. <laughs> uh, my first one was a joke, and that that's a muzzle. <laughs> I mean, joking is as in not that it doesn't need done, but joking and there are more important things. But that was my first answer: a muzzle. The second would be. Somehow to feed everybody so that there's nobody hungry. And I, I don't know how, like, you got huge conveyor belts going all over, all over the place. I, I don't know. But that would be something that I think is immediate because at the end of the day, it's like the hierarchy of needs. I mean, if your stomach, if you're hungry and you're starving, nothing else matters. You know, so that would probably be something that I would, I would want to invent. I, I would have this, I don't know. It's, it's such a tough, tough question. Honestly, I think if I could pick one thing, obviously a cure for cancer would be, it's up there, right? But um, another thing that I think about on a daily basis, it's like, man, I wish there was something is, uh, 
I wish there was like like a pill or like like something like an Advil that it would um it would stop it would, be, it would allow people to hear feedback or criticism or to hear what everybody else in the room is thinking without them immediately going to the defensive about it mm-hmm. i wish like because i know that you know there's like there are some um drugs that when you take it, it can like it can lower um stress it can lower anxiety i wish there was something that someone could take and i don't want to say like have like a, a intervention but like that a one-on-one moment where they're sitting with people in the room and say and people are saying um you know you really need to fix this part of of your life because you know you could be at a much 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 better potential if you were to fix this um because again this is something that i've just realized in the last year maybe two years is that a lot of my problems just come from uh issues with personality that went went unnoticed for so many years and while I sit here and say, I wish someone when I was 17 would have told me that, I know for a fact if someone did tell me that, one, I wouldn't have listened to, I probably would have just, they would have been dead to me. So I wish that there was something that allowed people to kind of put that that feeling away. Yeah. It would almost be great to have like a, a mentor network of humans that could just sit around and, and just provide that brutally honest opinions feedbacks where you know you, you take it with a grain of salt but also you you understand that it's coming from a great place yeah. that someone has your best interest in mind and you know I think that's what we all need you know we all need yeah. that at different parts of our lives and I, rem- I remember it when I was 18 I had a, I had a guy that, that told me he said listen he's like you're an extrovert and you know you're you're not a you're not a 4.0 student you know, and you're, you should probably consider these careers. And but he was honest with me, right? He knew he knew me enough to tell me those things. And I think that's that's the hard part too is how many people are going to really sit down with you and, and have those, hmm. as you mentioned earlier, these difficult conversations. You know, so you kind of again you have to ask, what's it like to be on the other side of me, and let people unload on you. You know, if if that's what we're looking for, and I, it, it helps us grow. Sure. Sometimes it could it could. Hmm. You know, knock us down a few pegs mm-hmm. I think it could be good well anytime you treat a wound right you know it's working by how painful it is right. that's what my mom always told me <laughs> which is why to this day I still use brown brown uh, Listerine yeah because you know, <laughs> my mom used to always tell me if, if it doesn't burn it's not working yeah the original Listerine my dad's an all original person he buys everything original but you know just thinking uh, biblically about that and they, they say that you should always have a um, there should always be a, a Barnabas, a Paul, and a Timothy in, in your life. So, like, there was Barnabas is in the middle, and, um, or no, 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 Paul's in the middle, you know, and then Paul is then has Timothy underneath him, and he's guiding him as a disciple, but then Barnabas is standing above Paul, guiding him as a disciple. So there should be always, if you're standing here, there should always be a Timothy, in other words, someone you're investing in, but there should always be someone that's on top of you investing in you. Um, I've, been, I've been lucky because, you know, my role at my first church was the, like, associate assistant, and a lot of times people are reluctant to be as blatant with the pastor, but in my role they were not. And people were brutally honest whether I wanted it or not. And at first, I really would make me mad. But the key was is when I found the people that I could trust them, that they loved me, and they had good intentions for me, that was the key. Then that's, that was a game changer for me. I, I would seek them out, and we would start meeting on a regular basis. Um, and, and they were brutally honest, but in a way that, that helped me in more ways than um, I would give them the the... 100 percent the the biggest reasons for the reasons who i am and, and where i've i've come is directly from those people investing in me so that's cool all right so um let's think about school we all have i guess high school education behind us did you graduate 
high school? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you got kicked out in like eighth grade or something. <laughs> I with, you should have saw your face. Yeah, just for a split half a millisecond. Like, I was like, I, uh, did um, you get expelled, kicked out? I did. I, I got suspended twice in my high school career. Um, based up on my high school GPA, it was a miracle that I graduated. Um, I'll just put it this way. The school that I was at in St. Louis was a very difficult school. Um, a lot of the people who graduated from Clayton High, shout out to Clayton High in St. Louis, went on to Harvard, um, a lot of Ivy League schools. And uh, um, when I got to Newcastle, Newcastle was not to, I'm not saying anything bad about Newcastle. It was a, just a very easy, compared to that, a very easy school to be a part of. And I thank God for that because that gave me some GPA boost because if I would have continued uh, that route, I probably, I, I honestly, I would probably have to have redone my senior year because I was not a good student at all. And uh, so <laughs> that's why I was like, that's why I thought, I never told you that. So when you said, did you graduate? I'm like, I was like, oh, <laughs> I had, did not know I told you that. No, no. I was just now the whole around. world knows. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so much of school is about conformity. Right, you got to do this at this time. Go to this class at this time. Hand this in at this time. It's just about you following a list of do's and don'ts and checking off things. Um, what are what's one thing that you learned in school, but had to unlearn afterward in the real world? Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of unfortunately, a lot of the things that we learn once we're in the real world we're, we're not applying a lot of those things to mm. to our our jobs or our lives as parents or you know but I, I would think that some of the things that you have to reteach yourself goes back to what you said earlier Seth which is very early in, in the podcast was you know being like selfless and understanding that because when we graduate and I think you mentioned it 17, 18, we're the most selfish pe- jerks out there in some regards. And we have to kind of reteach ourselves, you know, humility, patience, serving others, serving God, you know, all those things. And so when, you know, even college kids, they're 20, 21, 22, we send them off in the world and then we have to te- reteach them all the things that they probably should have learned when they were younger mm. with their parents. So, to go back on that, I, I think a lot of it, we certainly do learn a lot in, in school from from teachers, mentors, and people, but a lot of that comes in the home and what our what our families have, have taught us, and those are the lessons that, I mean, we're talking about today, you know? It's it's not the the math that you didn't want to do, Seth, or the, the science that I despised, you know? Or the anything that I didn't do. <laughs> yeah. you know? So it, it's... <laughs> but it, you know what? You, you said conformity. And weirdly enough, for my side why, which is the navigational coaching business, I spoke to a young man last month and I asked him, <laughs> what did he, I said, so what do, you, what do you like about school? And he said with the, the funniest tone, he goes, absolutely nothing. He said, they mandate us to be here. Now, mind you, this young man's going to probably be at like, RIT or an Ivy League school. So he's brilliant. But the wires haven't connected for him. Hmm. He he thinks of it as a conforming mandate. He doesn't see the learning or the values. And I think for a lot of young kids, that's kind of where we all were in some ways with school. You know, for hmm. some children that are that are gifted and intelligent. They just, they show up every day and they can get the A, right? That's how my daughter is. That's not how my son is. My son's going to have to work. He's going to have to fight. We're going to have to talk about it. Why hard work means something really. And I was that guy too, where it didn't, didn't just come easy. So I think kids have to learn that in school though and learn that selflessness, but not all schools. Mm-hmm form to teach that excellent we this isn't something that was sent to you so before we we close off i want to i want to ask you a question about um your faith 
Okay. How how important is faith in your life and in, as a dad and being a um, being a role model? I think that you know, just thinking about. And again, I think I said the last time, like I'm a work in progress. I'm you know, bruised, broken, like everybody else. But you know, there are parts of the Bible that get etched in my heart, and I think it's it's Romans, and um, you know, we we've all sinned, and we've all fallen drastically short for the glory of, of God, and we're going to continue to do that every day, as parents, as humans, as friends, as sons. Like I just thought about it on the way over here, the the drive. I was like. I suck as a son. Like, I haven't talked to my mom in, like, four days. And so when I get in the car, I'm going to call my mom. So I think faith is extremely important the older we get and the more life throws fireballs at us. And I just pray and I hope every day that with my kids when we're, we're praying grace... And when we're praying at night, that some of the things that we talk about trickle into their hearts and their minds and that they make that choice when they have the time, uh, when they become of age, to, to accept their faith and live a life that has purpose, passion, mm. and meaning. And not just, to, not just to be a good human, but be on a mission. Mm. Like, what's your mission? And... It's one thing to just say you're on a mission, but it's another thing to like run after that mission. And I think we all have to find what we talked about in the last episode that I was in, which is our why. And help our kids find their why. And help us help our friends find their why. And whatever it may be, every, every nook and cranny or avenue of their life, we have our whys. And how we can help people get there, that's why we're here. That's Very cool way to end the show. I appreciate you being here. I know Seth appreciates you being here. Thank I, you guys. I, you guys I, are good eggs. Thank you. I, I heard him talking in the hallway about how much of an impact you made on his life, and that's why we wanted, we wanted to circle back and, and have you back on and dig a little deeper. We know that you have a lot to offer for everyone that you come in contact with. Now, hopefully, your circle can get you know even larger. We want to inspire people. So, listen, if you've been blessed by today's podcast, we would ask that you would like and subscribe. And we hope to see you next week. This is Anthony, Pastor at Faith, Jeff Lynn, and Seth Walters signing off. Have a great day, everyone.